0: If you have your Bible with you, turn with me to the book of Mark, the gospel according to Mark, chapter 15. This morning we will be in chapter 15, verses 1 to 15. We have, Lord willing, five more Sundays in the book of Mark as we close this gospel, watching Jesus on the move, accomplishing our salvation, showing us what it looks like To follow him. This morning as we inch our way towards the cross, we will witness two new characters to the story. But I hope in the midst of this familiar passage, you will be able to find yourself as we look at Pilate, Barabbas, and you. With all that in mind, let's read Mark chapter 15, verses 1 to 15. This is the word of the Lord. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priest held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council, and they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, you have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And then Pilate again asked him, have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you? But Jesus made no further answer so that Pilate was amazed. Now the feast he he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he had perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priest had delivered him up. But the chief priest So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Stop me if this sounds familiar. And all the political drama, you have leaders who primarily are looking out for themselves, and criminals who are let off the hook, and religious leaders who are stirring up the pot, telling who the people to vote for, and people falling for all the lies and going with the flow. Talk of an insurrection, I mean, is Mark? Writing about the United States? No, he is not. Let's just say this one thing that this passage shows us is that the world and we have not really changed all that much. Again, I want to introduce these new characters, but eventually, brothers and sisters, I want to get to you and me. And so as we look, In this political drama, we're going to walk through it in three acts. The first act of this political mess is the Roman trial in verses 1 to 5. Let's read those verses again. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, you have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you? But Jesus made no further answer so that Pilate was amazed. At the very beginning, Mark tells you that all of this happens as soon it as it was morning, the first dawn of the day. And yet, even though light is starting to appear, it's darker than ever. Things are only getting worse. In chapter 14, if you missed that, the Jewish leaders have found Jesus guilty of blasphemy. They have quickly decided that Jesus deserves to die. There's one problem. The Jewish leaders have no power to serve their sentence. They are not able to execute Jesus even though they've decided he's worth deserving death. And so they go to Pilate for the first real trial, the first trial where anything actually can happen. Pilate is the governor of Judea. He serves under the pleasure of Caesar. He is not really in charge, but he's the one who has the power to decide for Rome what should happen with Jesus. What's interesting to know about Pilate is that he served in this position longer than anyone else. But that wasn't because he was good at his job. It was because he did just a good enough job to get by and was never promoted. And as no one is looking out for Pilate, Pilate looks out for himself. In his position, he could care less about the Jewish religion. Blasphemy? That has no impact in his court. That's not going to get the job done. That's not going to be the charge that's going to get Jesus to the cross. The religious leaders know this, so they have to bring a new charge to the table. And you understand what that charge is if you look at verse 2. Verse 2, Pilate asks him, Are you the king of the Jews? There's a twist here. Back in chapter 14, the Jewish leaders ask a similar question but they say, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? Pilate, with his Roman training, isn't asking about a Jewish Messiah. He just wants to know if Jesus is claiming some kind of royal authority and power, are you the king? Because that would matter to Rome. Caesar would have great interest if somebody was around claiming to be king. You hear more of the threat in the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 23, verse 3 says, They began to accuse him, saying, We found this man, Jesus, misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. There it is. That's going to get it done. So we have a new question with this trial but we have the same Jesus. All Pilate gets in a response is, you have said so. Jesus is telling Pilate, yes, I am king, but not the way you think I am king. Did you know that until we get to where Jesus is physically on the cross, those are his last words in the gospel according to Mark. At his opportunity to say what he needs to say to maybe get a foot in the door on his way out, he just gives this cryptic yes, and that is it. And with Pilate, as wishy-washy as he is, all it would take is a good argument probably to get out. And yet Jesus keeps his mouth shut. This is what amazes Pilate. He's been in this situation before. He's held court before. He's seen people get on their knees and beg for their life. He knows what an innocent person sounds like when they've been charged falsely. And Jesus is not doing any of this. Isaiah 53, verse 7. Let me show you this verse again. The prophet predicts that he was oppressed and he was afflicted Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. God, friends, is still in control. Pilate is not the one with power. Jesus, with all the power in the room, steers this conversation where it's going. By saying nothing. You see more of Isaiah 53 when we get to the second act in this political drama. The fatal vote in verses 6 to 11. The fatal vote. Let's read about that, verses 6 to 11. Mark writes, Now at the feast, Pilate used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked, And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priest had delivered him up. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. We take the right to vote for granted. We get to do it every two years. There are people still today who do not have that privilege. We have to remember, brothers and sisters, that in this courtroom that Jesus is in, this is not a democracy. This isn't a place where votes have to happen. Pilate has the right to do whatever he pleases. He can pull the trigger and release Jesus right now. He can pull the trigger and crucify Jesus right now. He's doing this ritual at the festival because what he wants to do Is please people. He wants people to like him. As the text says, he wants to satisfy the crowd. So he gives the power away to say what's going to happen. He gives the people the right to vote so that they will like him. When it comes time to release a prisoner, he lets go of the power. He lets go of the control. And as the vote happens, there are two candidates that are full of gospel irony. We've talked a lot about irony the last few weeks. And as familiar as this passage is, I want you to hear about these two candidates and be amazed at how God has orchestrated these things. Barabbas. Let's start with his name. Barabbas is, is te- technically like his last name, bar like Simon Bar-Jonah. The, the phrase Bar means son. So Barabbas' last name is son of the Abba, son of the father. Now, if you study further in the other Gospels, it is most likely that Barabbas's first name is Joshua. Now, you don't maybe know more. Joshua is Yeshua. Yeshua is Jesus. So this man on trial, one of the candidates, is Yeshua, son of the Father. Wow. Who's the other one? Yeshua, the son of the father. Barabbas, the first one, was a rebel involved in an insurrection. Now, we don't know about that insurrection because they happened all the time. There's dozens of insurrections that happened during this time period because the Jewish people are under the oppression of Rome. And anytime some young buck wanted to make a name for himself, he got a group of rebels and charged the Roman White House on January 6th. And that's what Barabbas did. And even got to the point where somebody died. Now, do you know what that would make Barabbas? In Jerusalem, a right-wing hero, a patriot, a Robin Hood, a man of action. And so we read this story and we look at Barabbas as some scum. But people in the crowd celebrating the Passover see this guy as the next president of Jerusalem. This is the hero. And so on the ballot, stay with me, we've got a freedom fighter, a political freedom fighter, and a man who has promised spiritual freedom. Freedom from sin and death. One man has killed somebody, and one man has only brought life to the community. Pilate sees his chance. The choice is obvious. The biggest threat to his seat in power is the man who stormed the gates, the one who actually deserves to die. He knows, the text says, that the priests hate Jesus because they're jealous. And so he goes to the crowd because surely the people have common sense. And so verse 9, Pilate asks the crowd, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? You'll never guess what happens next. It's another parallel, maybe. I'm just joking about all this, by the way. What happens next is a rigged election. That was a a point for you to laugh.
1: Verse
0: 11, while the vote is going on, you can see I'm not making this up. The chief priests stir up the crowd. They do a smear campaign. They bust out all the false advertisements and say, this Jesus, you know who he is. Let's go for Barabbas. And they rile the crowd up with theatrics and emotion, and they convince the crowd to choose the Robin Hood. And when the votes come in, that's exactly what happens. As Kent Hughes writes, the people chose lawlessness, instead of righteousness, violence instead of love, war instead of peace. And I ask again, friend, has anything changed? The encouragement here, then and today, is even in this scandal and mess, God is in control. Isaiah 53, verses 2 and 3, the prophet again said, For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He, this is Jesus he's talking about, was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Friends, hundreds of years before the election, it was proclaimed, Jesus will not get the vote. And as with every step before, God rules. Remember, we talked about this early. Whatever happens next in this story, God is in control. And it's so relevant, brothers and sisters. Listen, whatever it comes next in your story, whatever comes next in our story, God is in control. He's not let go of anything. And he even rules over the final act of this passage, when we see the ultimate injustice in verses 12 to 15. Read those verses with me. And again, Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they, the crowd, shouted all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. One of the things that has just been ingrained into my heart, into my mind, is this phrase about sin. One of my mentors used to say it all the time. It's been helpful. Maybe you could put this in your pocket and remember it when you're tempted. Sin will take you farther than you want to go. In temptation, it'll promise you that it'll all be great. And if you just take that step, it'll be easy peasy and you'll have fun doing it. But then when you give in to that temptation, whatever it is in your life, It is going to be way worse than you think. It is going to take you farther than you want to go, and you are going to regret it. I don't know what sin you are tempted with, but that's for free. Sin is going to take you farther than you want to go. And that is exactly what is going on in Pilate's life. He wanted to please some people, and he's trapped. He wanted people to like him, to respect him, and it's gotten out of control he knows it. He tries to configure things to to get out of it. But the people are the ones with the power. And the people have made the wrong choice. And so guess what Pilate does? He does what election or political leaders do. He starts to squirm. He starts to backpedal. He starts to try to get out of his campaign promise. And he asks the crowd what to do with Jesus hoping they'll give him a way out. But someone in the crowd, probably one of the priests, stirring everybody on, starts the chant, crucify, crucify, crucify. And Pilate tries to speak over. He knows that it's coming, but over the noise, the judge, the one in charge, begs the jury, gets on his knees, and pleads that the verdict would change. In verse 14, Pilate confesses that Jesus is innocent. I want you to hear that. The enemy who ultimately pulled the trigger on Jesus knew that Jesus was innocent, knew that he was blameless. He says it over and over in the Gospel of Luke, and he cries out to the crowd, What evil has he done? And it's too late. The chant is only getting louder, and the crowd, the people, The everyday people on the street are demanding this man's death for no reason. And Isaiah talked about this too. Isaiah 53 verse 9. And they, the people, made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit, In his mouth. Why do bad things happen to good people? Have you ever asked that? Why do bad things happen to good people? Friend, in the history of the world, it's only happened once. And we're watching it. I want to help you with this. The next time you want to ask that question because of something going on in your life, remember what Jesus went through. You are not as obedient as him. You are not as perfect as him. You are not as righteous as him. And look at all the bad that happened to him. Verse 15 again, just to see it. See all these characters come together and see what happens to Jesus. So Pilate wishing to satisfy the crowd release for them barabbas and having scourged jesus he delivered him to be crucified one of the questions that people ask and debate when they study this question is who's to blame who's the one at fault who's the one guilty who killed jesus was it pilate was it the chief priest was it the crowd In a way, they're all right, but there's a word that tells you the answer. It happens three times in this passage. It's the word delivered. Delivered is a loaded word in the Gospel of Mark that always points to God's intentional purpose and will. Friends, who killed Jesus? God. Isaiah 53, verse 10. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. Friends, the good news of the gospel is, yes, the trial happened on Pilate's watch. Yes, the priest and the scribes instigated the trial. Yes, the crowd demanded the cross. But God was at work. God moved for this to happen. And God, the son, Jesus, accepted it to happen for you and me. Friends, God is behind it all because it's the only way to set you and me free and still be a holy God. If God just forgives you and me willy-nilly and none of this happens, God is just like Pilate letting Barabbas go. God is doing this so that he can be right when he says you and me are innocent. Because we're not. And Jesus has to pay the penalty for that to happen. God is at work doing this. That's why Romans 3 verse 26 says that all of this was to show his righteousness at the present time so that God might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now, I want to ask a question. I've alluded to it a couple times. You've got to think through all of this and stick with me for a little bit. When you read this passage, as we've read this passage, where are you? Where do you fit in this story? I want you to think about that, and I just want to show you God at work for a minute. As we've watched this political mess, it is not a mess. It is perfect. God is perfectly working right now to show off his glory. There are two kings in this story. One who gave up his power to serve himself. And one king who gave up his power to serve us. There are two sons of the Father, one who shed blood for national freedom and one who shed his blood for our spiritual freedom. In this passage, there are two kinds of shepherds. Ones who lead the sheep against God out of envy and a great shepherd who is rejected by the sheep for God out of love. And there is a crowd full of sheep stained with guilt as they yell, crucify at the Messiah. And in this passage, there is only one spotless lamb. He's not just the king of the Jews. He is the king of kings. And as we watch him, friend, where are you? I think some of us could see ourselves in Pilate. Pilate is just living to please others, just wanting other people to like him. Instead of standing up for what is right, Pilate asks, what is the safest play? Anybody going through that at work, with their friends, in their marriage? Anybody just trying to please others, trying to do what's safe? Look at Pilate and see where that's going to take you. Colossians 3, verse 23 and 24. Friend, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. Don't try to impress others. Live for God. And so maybe some of us see ourselves in Pilate, but friend, it is more important for you to understand that you are in the crowd. Have you heard your voice chant, crucify? Friend, do not think that if God gave you a time machine and brought you to this place, that you would be the one to stand against the crowd. Peter's not there. John's not there. None of the disciples are there. You and I would be no different. We would be the ones mixed up in all of this, yelling for Jesus to die. And our sin, that's what we do every day. Isaiah 53, again, verse 6. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And friend, this is the most important step. You have to see yourself in the crowd and you have to hear your voice crucified because if you don't see yourself there, you won't get to see yourself in Barabbas. But you can. Friend, even with blood on your hands as a sinner, you can be set free. Even though you are the one who sinned, you can become a son of the Abba. Romans 5, verse 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still Barabbas, Christ died for us. I just want to know, have you you had that happen in your life? Have you been put on trial? Guilty. You know it and everyone else knows it. Because of Jesus being your substitute, You're the one set free. Are those crimes still on top of you? The guilt and the condemnation still on top of you? Friend, if you trust what Jesus did in your place, on the cross and through his resurrection, you can be let go free today. And God can be right and just in doing that. When we see ourselves like that, I know many of us do. The only way we can see Jesus from then on is king. If Jesus took your place, he has to be your Lord. Friend, don't believe the lie in the church that Jesus can save you and not be your king. That is false gospel. If Jesus saves you, he has to be your king. And if he is your king, it should show up. Friend, if Jesus is your king, how does that impact the way you live this week? How does that impact the way you wake up? How does that impact the way you interact with the people the king has put in your life? What kind of changes would it make, would would be made in your life if you... 100% lived as if Jesus was king of kings and king of everything in your life. As Mark Strauss writes, it means we place ourselves in absolute submission to his will, like Jesus did, to turn our lives over to his service and to make him Lord of everything. Friend, I want to encourage you. If you've tried to siphon off a part of your Christian life and not give that to God, you need to repent, ask the King for forgiveness, and give that part of your life to Him. Romans twelve verses one and two. My final call to you, brothers and sisters who belong to Christ. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters. By the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. May the Spirit of God take this word of God in the people of God and make it show up in our lives so that we live for Jesus as our king. Let us pray.